the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider, when each week at this time, I look at Vatican News highlights, interview people in the news, and, when time allows, I offer a Q&A. My guest this week in the interview segment is Sister Gabriella Bonatti, International Coordinator of Talitha Cum, the Catholic Network Against Human Trafficking, under the auspices of the International Union of Superiors General. We talk about the name Talitha Cum, how women rescued from trafficking are cared for and reinserted into society, the difficulties nations have with stopping human trafficking, and much more. Now, on to the news highlights. Sunday, February 13th. At the Angelus, after reflecting on the day's Gospel on the Beatitudes, Pope Francis urged world leaders to seek a peaceful solution to the situation in and around Ukraine, as Western nations warn Russia could invade its neighbor at any time. Francis said the news coming out of Ukraine is very worrying. I entrust to the intercession of the Virgin Mary and to the conscience of political leaders every effort on behalf of peace. He then invited everyone to pray in silence for a moment so that peace might prevail. Monday, February 14th. With the motu proprio fidem servare, preserving the faith, Pope Francis modified the internal structure of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, CDF by establishing two distinct sections, doctrinal and disciplinary. Each section will have its own secretary, thus greater authority and autonomy, and the cardinal prefect will have two chief deputies. The aim of the reform is to give due importance to the doctrinal section and its fundamental role of the promotion of the faith without diminishing its disciplinary activity, including decades of effort and human resources dedicated solely to examining abuse cases. Tuesday, February 15th. With yet another new motu proprio, apostolic letter assegnare alcune competenze, assigning certain competencies, Pope Francis modified canon law for both the Latin Church and the Eastern Churches, changing the areas of competence for various bodies within the Universal Church by transferring certain responsibilities from the Vatican to local bishops. The intention, the Pope wrote, is above all to foster a sense of collegiality and pastoral responsibility on the part of bishops, as well as major superiors, and also to support the principles of rationality, effectiveness, and efficiency. Wednesday, February 16th. The general audience, Pope Francis, concluded his series of catechesis on St. Joseph with a reflection on his role as patron of the Universal Church. In the Gospel, said Francis, Joseph is consistently presented as the guardian of the Virgin Mary and the child Jesus. Just as Joseph protected the Holy Family, so too he continues to love and protect the body of Christ, which is the Church, as well as the poor, the sick, and the dying, whom the Lord calls the least of his brothers and sisters. St. Joseph teaches us, said Francis, that we too must love and protect the Church and Christ's poor. Let us commend ourselves and the needs of the Church to the protection of St. Joseph. Thursday, February 17th. 
Pope Francis addressed the International Theological Symposium on the Priesthood, drawing on over 50 years of his own priesthood in an address aimed at helping today's priests, quote, experience the peace and fruitfulness that the Spirit desires to bestow. The Holy Father spoke not only to priests, quote, who by their life and witness showed me from my earliest years what it means to reflect the face of the Good Shepherd, but also to those brother priests that he's had to accompany because, quote, they lost the flame of their first love, priests whose ministry had become barren, repetitive, and meaningless. All vocations, said the Pope, including the vocation to the priesthood, require trusting discernment to determine where God is leading us. Faced with the many questions and temptations of our age, Pope Francis said he wanted to focus on what is decisive for the life of a priest today, the attitudes that sustain us as priests. He then focused on four pillars of our priestly life, and he described them as four forms of closeness, closeness to God, to the bishop, to fellow priests, and to the people of God. Francis stressed the importance of priestly fraternity and called priestly celibacy a gift that the Latin Church preserves, but which must be rooted in healthy relationships. Also Thursday, Pope Francis met with a delegation of artist members of the Diaconia of Beauty on its 10th anniversary, and he thanked them for their service to the Church. The Diaconia of Beauty offers education, prayer, and spiritual and economic support to members who are musicians, poets, singers, painters, architects, sculptors, actors, and dancers. Francis said artistic creation completes in a certain sense the beauty of creation, and when it's inspired by faith, reveals more clearly to people the divine love which is its origin. Friday, February the 18th. Meeting with members of the plenary of the Congregation for Eastern Churches, Pope Francis said humanity still seems to be groping in the dark, and he highlighted the massacres from conflicts in the Middle East, in Syria and Iraq, in the Ethiopian region of Tigray, and the drama facing Lebanon. These are the motherlands of the Eastern Catholic Churches. They developed there, preserving millennia-old traditions, and many of you, members of the dicastery, are their children and heirs. Francis noted the threatening wind blowing across the steppes of Eastern Europe, lighting the fuses and fires of weapons, and leaving the hearts of the poor and innocent cold. Francis told his guests their life was like a mixture of the precious dust of the gold of their past and the heroic witness of faith of many in the present. Also Friday, Pope Francis authorized the Congregation for the Causes of Saints to promulgate five decrees, including the heroic virtues of Servant of God, Argentinian Cardinal Eduardo Francesco Pironio, who died February 5, 1998, in Rome. He was the last of 22 children. On April 8, 1984, Pope John Paul named him president of the Pontifical Council for the Laity. Together with John Paul, Pironio was a promoter of World Youth Days. Also Friday, a telegram of condolences and prayers was sent by Pope Francis to Archbishop Julian Barrio Barrio of Santiago de Compostela for the victims of the shipwreck of the Spanish fishing vessel Villa de Pintanzo, which occurred last Tuesday off the coast of Newfoundland. Also Friday. In a telegram to the Bishop of Petropolis in Brazil, where scores of people are confirmed dead from floods and mudslides, Pope Francis conveyed his condolences and prayed for the deceased. 
117 deaths have been confirmed from the mudslides. Police estimate there are at least 116 people missing. Lots of news this week, but now don't move. Join me as I speak with Sister Gabriela Botani, International Coordinator of Talitha Kum, the Catholic Network Against Human Trafficking. Welcome to the Q and A. This week, I explain one of the most common forms of papal documents, the motu proprio. A motu proprio is a rescript, an official edict or announcement initiated and issued by the Pope of his own accord, and apart from the advice of others, for reasons that he himself deemed sufficient. It begins by stating the reason, making him decide to act, after which is stated the law or regulation made or the favor granted. And it is signed personally by the Pope. The first recorded motu proprio was issued by Innocent VIII in 1484. With his two motu proprios of February 14 and 15, 2022, Pope Francis has issued a total of 49 of these papal documents since his election in March 2013. On March 14th, with Fidem Servare, Pope Francis modified the internal structure of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. By establishing two distinct sections, doctrinal and disciplinary, each of which will have its own secretary, thus greater authority and autonomy. On February 15th, with the motu proprio assegnare alcune competenze, Pope Francis modified canon law for both the Latin Church and the Eastern Churches, changing the areas of competence for various bodies within the Universal Church. By transferring certain responsibilities from the Vatican to local bishops, so now you know what a pope does when he issues a motu proprio. This is Bob Grappi, General Manager of Divine Mercy Radio in Melbourne, Florida. Catholic Radio has been providing Catholics and others solid ground in these particularly troubling times with news including threats to our culture, situational on-air counseling, apologetics for Catholics and others, and biblical teaching for growth and holiness. Catholic Radio is not just radio; it's radio that makes a difference. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio now more than ever. If you have a few minutes a day, you can become an EWTN media missionary in your parish, in your community, or through prayer. Be a part of Mother Angelica's mission. Place your gifts and strengths in service to Christ and His Church by volunteering your time and sharing the eternal Word with the world. Visit EWTNmissionaries.com today. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Prayer is the only truly creative power in the world. God is the only one who can create something out of nothing. And when we pray, we welcome God into our hearts. And once He's there, He's going to do something. He's going to change things. He's going to transform us. He's going to make something out of the nothing that is me. That's the power of prayer for me. It's the only power that's guaranteed to change my life. And the only way I know to make that happen is through prayer. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. I just want to、uh, welcome listeners to a 
a new program of Vatican Insider, and a really wonderful guest this week. You will be riveted by Sister Gabriella Botani's uh, story. She's the international coordinator for Talitha Kum, the Catholic Network Against uh, Trafficking, under the auspices of the International Union of Superiors General. And you also may have heard, because February 8th was the International Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Trafficking, and um, the Holy Father sent a message, and the name Talitha come, came up several times. So anyway, Sister Gabriella, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very glad to be with you today. It's such an important topic. It's just so devastating. But before we go into your actual work, tell us a little bit about Talitha Kum, the name, its, its biblical roots, and, and uh, when and how it was founded. Tzvitakum is an Aramaic word, uh, probably was used by Jesus. Jesus spoke this word to the Jairus' daughter. We find this in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, when uh, he, the, the little girl, the adolescent girl, was lying like that, and uh, when Jesus arrived, uh, he touched her hand, and uh, he said to her, Talita Kum, that it means, little girl, I say to you, stand Arise, up, yes. raise Arise. up, stand up. So this is the power of, uh, of the encounter, the touch, Jesus sure. touching with the words, but also with the hand. And it's so important because what you are doing when you rescue women, young girls from human trafficking, when you do that, you're basically saying to them, rise up again I'm to, to find a new life, or maybe a life they never even, you know, even had. So that is so significant. Yes, this is very important because uh, they, they, to be close to them, to touch them, and to let them to touch ourselves. Exactly. Because there is a, a kind of reciprocity that we need. It's not only us in dialogue with others, but to let people to enter in our heart, to enter in our lives. So the process of change is always a dialogue. Exactly. And you know, sister, I think the whole world has discovered in these two years of, of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, I think we've discovered how much we have missed sometimes being touched. I mean, you know, grandparents weren't even supposed to see their grandchildren the first year. Uh, people were, were never supposed to hug, uh, unless, of course, you're in the same family. So that, that just that physical act of touching someone, of saying welcome, of saying rise, of, of, of asking, how can I help you? It's a very important act for these yeah. people. And I think that uh, when we are missing, we discover the value, but we do not have to forget that Human trafficking is an issue of body, of human body. Yes. And the touch is used also to abuse and to misuse. It, yes. So the issue is very important. We need really to discover the deep value of our life, of our relationship, of the value and the dignity of each person. In that context, the care and the touch, like Jesus show us, is a life-giving touch. Is a, not a destroying one. And it must be very hard when you work with the victims. You, you've just rescued a woman, several women, young girls, and they have been physically abused by the you know, hands of other people who, who certainly did not love them. And it must be very hard to persuade them to allow somebody else 
to finally touch them, to touch them with love, with concern, with caring. That has to be a huge step in your helping them to heal. Yes, the, this is important, uh, what you are saying, and I think that the first touch is true our, the way we see the people. Mm -hmm. So the first touch is happening through the eyes. So the way that we look at this person is really the one uh, helping us in renewing trust, trusting one each other, but also to see the scourge of human trafficking. Because unfortunately, we are speaking still of a hidden crime, a very difficult crime to be reported and also to be identified. Also, the people in situation of trafficking and exploitation, often it is difficult for them to say, yes, I am trafficked, I am a victim. Oh, I, I imagine. I think that there are cases in life when people feel that they did something to deserve that. I know that just in cases of a woman, it can be in a city like Rome or New York or something, a, a woman being raped, there always is a sense of guilt. What did I do to bring this on? And you have to also take care that these people know it's nothing they did. Yes, and this is this feeling. Uh, it, trafficking uh, is entering in, in the dream, in the best wishes of life of people that they desire a better life, they desire a job, sure. they desire to find peace in another place or to provide money for paying the study of their children. And in this process, they see that many people going abroad because still is very much connected with migrations flow. And then they see that others were able to do that. And when they arrive and find themselves in exploitative situation without losing their freedom and their dignity, they ask, what did I do yeah. wrong? What happened? Why it happens with me? Exactly. Because the pressure is often also very strong from the family that in many sure. cases they invested also to send people abroad. So it's really a very complicated, also from the psychological perspective. Now, Sister, was this uh, founded, this was founded specifically, obviously, to fight human trafficking, but was this a group of people, was it a group of sisters specifically, who said, wait a minute, nobody seems to be doing anything on this, we have to do this? The more I'm trying to understand the story of Talita Kum, the more it's difficult for me to identify who started, because it's like a process who started from different parts, ah. where, um, okay, we are looking at the, in the perspective of religious sisters, um, but let me say that religious sisters working uh, at the grassroots in the fields with women in sexual exploitation or in a situation of vulnerability of trafficking at the at the end of the 20th century, so in the, 90, in the 90s, to, yes. to tell you more or less a, per a period of time, uh, they started to recognize uh, this new element of exploitation of vulnerabilities, con mostly in, in Europe, but not only, and they started to reflect on this uh, topic. And... Uh, there was a kind of dialogue between the sisters at the grassroots and the leadership of women religious in the church based here at the International Union of Superior General. Oh, sure. Yes. So, and in, 
In 2001, the, the sister at the, working in the Justice and Peace Commission were asked to report to the International Union of General Superior Plenary uh, about these issues. And at the end of that assembly, uh, the General Superior Gathering in Rome decided to promote collaboration. That was, let me say, the kickoff, right. let me say like yeah. that, to improve collaboration. From that experience, networks like ACRAT in Australia or CATI sure. in uh, French-speaking Canada started, but also reflection and project throughout uh, many parts of the world. Oh, absolutely. A and you have a wonderful map of this on the site. Yes. And it's talithacom.com. And it's just an amazing site when you go by continent and then yes. break it down into groups. Some are called Talithacom, others have, have their own names. And I know that, for example, in the United States, we have the U.S. Catholic Sisters um, Against uh, Human Trafficking. Let me tell you something about the U.S. Catholic Sisters. Uh, they joined Talithacom in 2014. However, their commitment against human trafficking, it's very much, be they started before that. Before that. So that was interesting because during this journey, at a certain point, we realized that all was all was created locally. We needed to gather together to sure. have a kind of stronger sharing and working together. Right. And in 2009, there was a big meeting. And at the end of this meeting, the sisters coming from all over the world, they asked to UASG to have an office. And they suggested to give the name Talitakum. So that was oh, yes. is a, what we call is a bottom-up process. We, we started with the grassroots. The exactly. grassroots yes. And we are really grassroots. And, and you and I, now that I think I hear you say the dates, so 2019 was the 10th anniversary right. of that. Right. And the U.S. Embassy in Rome, to the U.S. Embassy to the Holy See, the office here in Rome, had under Ambassador Callista Gingrich, she had a big reception to recognize the work of Talitha Kum and all of the, the work of the nuns and, of course, this 10th anniversary. Absolutely. Uh, also, the big first uh, training project uh, that it was from 2004 to 2009, uh, that was supported by the U.S. government and uh, it was uh, in collaboration with the International Organization of Migration. Yes, of course, there was a strong participation uh, from mm -hmm. the U.S. also to support uh, exactly. the growth of uh, and the to form religious sisters but in anti-trafficking, but also to build networking. And I know that um, it's been many years, you and I discussed this before, it's been many years that the U.S. Embassy to the Holy See has, has made this one of their major focuses, and I know we'll very shortly have a, a new ambassador coming in, but... You mentioned the word training. How do you, how do you, what are the training courses like? Training courses is, uh, let me say, pastoral oriented. We try to connect uh, the um, university knowledge with the grassroots knowledge because uh, we need to, to join them to support the sisters that they are willing to start a service in anti-trafficking or that they need support because they are working with group at risk of trafficking like migrants people okay. or in uh. region where people are recruited or for example sisters that are in places where after people were recruited they come back 
and they are deported back in their own country. So we're not talking Rome as much as we are local. They're they're trained locally within their within a diocese or or like you said even at a university. We have different models of training. <clears throat> uh, the first one is the training for building new networks. Now we have uh, we concluded two training for our sisters uh, and brothers because more and more also religious and lay people are joining us and they are in sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, we are working in collaboration when, with the Tangaza University College and uh, of course the sisters. Now we have very good trained sisters so we are also Training, we train other religious sisters. So we are empowering also Thank the voice and the role of religious sisters in this field. Now, when someone or several women or young people are found rescued fr from trafficking, what's the first thing you do? And, and how are they reinserted into society? The process is a long-term process. So the first thing is to make people feeling that they are in a situation where they can, that they feel uh, safe. And that somebody cares for them. And that yeah. somebody cares for them, that they have food to eat, then yeah. they cook their own food, that they can have uh, clean uh, uh, beds, clean clothes to wear, a place where they can take a shower, someone caring for their health. So bringing them to the doctor, to the hospital sure. for a global check-in. So the first is the basic needs. And this is the first step also to develop a trust relationship. Sure. Because only if we are able to develop a trust relationship, we are able also to accompany them sure. throughout the journey. Now, there's a, in Italy, there's a Casa Bacchita. We're going to talk about Sister Josephine Bacchita in a minute, beyond from Sudan, of course, who uh, was enslaved for years. When she was released, she eventually found uh, the faith with the Kenosian sisters, became a Kenosian sister herself, and was uh, an amazing life. And she was canonized in 2000 by, by Pope John Paul. And of course, she's not only the patron saint of, of her native Sudan, she was brought to Italy yeah. by the nuns, but she's also the patron saint, obviously, of of Talitha Qum and similar organizations. Oh yes, and you touched a very important issue, the role of spiritual life. So this is also what we are offering, is like we are close to them, we respect the diversity, also the religion of every person, the faith of every person, uh, but we believe deeply that uh, spirituality is a very important element also for the care and the healing process. That's all the time I have today with Sister Gabriella Bonatti of Talitha Kum. But come back next week when we talk more about how women are reinserted into society when they are rescued from traffickers, all about the February 8th initiative on the very day of prayer against human trafficking. And I ask Sister, why is it so hard to find the traffickers and close down their networks? Are governments simply unwilling or just unable, or do they not apply proper resources? For more information on these stories, or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.